Good morning, and welcome to our Sunday school here at First Baptist Church. For those viewing who may not know me, I'm Pastor Gilmore, and uh, this is our Sunday school hour. And I want to start by thanking all of you who are joining us for our service today, and we're glad to be able to come to you by way of the internet. These are very difficult times, and uh, across the board and for the church as well in that we're not supposed to be gathering in the church house, but we're thankful that we have the live streaming, that we can still uh, get the word of God teaching and preaching. Most of you are, or we are in the same boat as most of you. When I say that, I'm talking about we're anxious for that time when we can come to the church house once again and uh, gather together. This morning, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. And I'm going to bring a lesson on feeding the multitudes. Feeding the multitudes. Pretty familiar story to most people uh, who've been around the church any length of time. But we're going to read Matthew 14 verses 13 through 21. Matthew chapter 14. Well, let's change that. Let's, let's do Matthew 14, verse 15, um, down through 23. We'll start at 15 and go through 23. And when it was evening, his disciples came to him, saying, This is a desert place, and the time is now past. Send the multitude away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals. But Jesus said unto them, They need not depart, give ye them to eat. And they say unto him, We have here but five loaves and two fishes. He said, Bring them hither to me. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass and took the five loaves and two fishes. And looking up to heaven, he blessed and brake and gave the loaves to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude. And they did all eat and were filled. And they took up of the fragments that remained 12 baskets full. And they that had eaten were about 5,000 men beside women and children. And straightway, Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. Father, once again, we're very thankful to be able to gather around your word. Though we're not able to gather in person at this particular time, we know that we can gather in our spirits. And we pray that we would do that this morning. I pray you'll bless this, this time we're going to spend looking at this wonderful miracle that, that Jesus was able to perform there in a desert place. And I pray that you'd help me to be a blessing and a help to those who will hear. Give me Holy Spirit wisdom and direction as to what to say, how to say it, that you would be pleased and glorified in all that's said and done. And Lord, again, we're anxious for the day when we can meet in the church once again, when God's people can come together and sing the songs of praise and, and pray together and, and uh, fellowship together and worship together. And we pray that you would bring that day quickly. And
And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's a question for you. Have you ever personally witnessed God providing in a miraculous way? If you have, you understand the awe that a child of God feels when God does that. To come to the end of our resources, to be in a state of uncertainty, and to see God provide in spite of us does wonders for our faith. In fact, this is one of the prayer requests that the disciples had. Over in uh, Luke 11.1, 1, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And in 17.5 of Luke, they say, Lord, increase our faith. In Matthew 14, we find a group of disciples who are preparing to have their faith stretched once again and then strengthened by the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, that's a biblical order to have your faith stretched once your faith is stretched, you're going to find that your faith is strengthened. They've seen the Lord Jesus do wonders many times, and they've been walking with him for quite some time and seeing uh, his power. In the first two verses of our text, we see that Jesus, once again, healing the sick that had been brought to him, and uh, we didn't read those two verses. Go back to Matthew 14, verses 13 and 14. When Jesus heard of it, he departed thence by ship into a desert place apart. And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them. And he healed their sick. So we find the activity that Jesus is, is uh, carrying on here during that day. They were, uh, while the disciples knew that Jesus could heal diseases, and that their spiritual needs would be met in him, they're still learning what it really meant to have God incarnate walk with them. A multitude was once again gathered to see the Lord. And Jesus went apart to get apart, but the crowd followed him. They're in a dry, hot, desert land. Nothing much grows there. The disciples have labored in the heat of the eastern sun all day, ministering to the needs of the crowd. They're tired, they're hungry, they're thirsty, they're emotionally drained as they have assisted the Lord in his daily ministry. As the day is coming to an end, the disciples are ready to send the people away. What they fail to realize, that people equal ministry. Uh, it's kind of a, a cliche, if you will, or a joke uh, among preachers. We often say the ministry would be wonderful if it wasn't for people. But we understand people equal ministry. Jesus had another idea. They said, send them away. Jesus says, let's do something else. He would rather teach the disciples a lesson and bless the multitude at the same time. And he's fixing to do that. While it's an overused adage, it remains very true, and this is true in our lives. Where God guides, he provides. And where he leads, he feeds. And uh, those, that principle ought to be a, an underlying principle in our lives that we rely upon. If God takes you there, God's going to meet your needs. Jesus had this other idea. It was God who had brought these people to the desert on this day, and it was God who was going to supply their every need. 
many times we picture this story as if it were taking place under a noonday sun. Yet a careful reading of the text proves otherwise. Apparently, it's evening now when this has all taken place. The sun is setting. Darkness isn't far off. But don't ever forget, Jesus is the light of the world. Under a desert sky, as the moon's preparing to shine its light down, Jesus organizes a crowd, and he does the miraculous for this great crowd that had gathered. He provides. You know, a lot of the Old Testament patriarchs knew about God and, and his provision. We think of Abraham and how, how, how he, he declared God to be Jehovah Jireh, meaning God will provide. Mary and Martha found out that Jesus could provide for their dead brother and bring him back to life. Paul taught the church at Philippi about God's ability to provide all their needs as they continued giving to missions. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Paul taught the church at Philippi about God's ability to provide all their needs as they continued giving to missions. Time after time, we come face to face with a God that is able to provide. So in Matthew 14, we see the disciples are about to learn a great lesson from the Lord Jesus Christ. So the first thing we want to see today is the persecution of Herod. The persecution of Herod. And right under that, a burdened Savior. And uh, in verses 1 through 13, we didn't read these in Matthew here. Uh, We find uh, what went on there, and that's that John had confronted Herod about his uh, taking his brother's wife to be his wife. John said, that's wrong. Uh, You're living in adultery. And uh, so Herod didn't take kindly to that, nor did his wife. And later, uh, Herod had... had, uh, his wife's daughter, to dance for him. And he promised her, anything you ask, I'll give you. Just come and dance for us. And she did. And her mother advised her to ask for John the Baptist's head in a charger or a basket. And so when, when Herod said, all right, now what would you like me to give you? She said, I want John the Baptist's head in a basket. Now, I don't, I don't know that that pleased Herod, but, but he, uh, he said, okay, and, and that's what happened. And so earlier in this day, uh, they get word that John the Baptist has been beheaded. So as we come to this text, we need to understand what's going on here. Too many people have the idea that Jesus uh, simply, simply fed 5,000 people, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, actually, he fed a lot more than 5,000. But the background helps us understand this was a very emotional day Yet ministry has to continue. They had grown up together. I'm sorry. John the Baptist was the Lord's earthly cousin. And we remember how Mary visited her cousin Elizabeth and and, uh, the babe leapt in her womb and all. But they're cousins. They had grown up together. They had ministered together. Now John has been beheaded because he would not tone down the message of righteous living. Listen, friend, when you take a stand for righteous living, uh, it's going to cost you and you're going to face opposition. Just mark it down and expect it. Humanly speaking, it was a loss for the disciples and it was a loss for Christ. 
there was no doubt a lot of anguish or a lot of grief among the disciples. Perhaps it was quiet and somber as each disciple struggled to understand the meaning of this trial. I'm sure they, 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 they thought that God would protect John the Baptist and when, when uh, he allowed John to be martyred. They didn't understand. Well, let's look at a burdened Savior, and then we see the significance of John. Significance of John. Jesus spoke of John. Over in Luke chapter 7 and verse 28, Jesus said that there was no greater prophet born among women than John the Baptist. Now, that's a powerful statement. Think about the fact Elijah and Elisha both did miracles. John never did a miracle. And yet Christ still esteemed him as greater, and it would appear that miracles do not necessarily equate with greatness. It would also be implied that God is not looking for us to do some bigger and better feat of Christianity. Rather, he's expecting us to be faithful with what we've been given. Faithfulness. That's one of, that's one of the key needs if we're going to be used by the Lord. Faithfulness. Faithful. This would be a word to describe John the Baptist, and he was. He was faithful in his life. He was faithful in his death. He understood the role that had been given to him as the forerunner of Christ. His whole ministry was not about him. His whole ministry, he pointed people towards the Messiah. It's interesting, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but John was the last of the Old Testament prophets. What a wonderful ministry he enjoyed as the multitudes would come to hear the message of repentance and the coming kingdom. When John entered in his reward, he would have heard, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Not only was he commended here by Jesus, but we're certain he would have been commended uh, in heaven. So we see John the Baptist and the great man he was and the great work he was doing. And of course, the loss of John would have been a cause for great mourning among the disciples. Two of the Lord's disciples at one time followed John's ministry. The influence he had exerted upon them was immeasurable. John, a voice, was preparing the way for people to come to Christ. He lived and died around the deserts of the Holy Land, but his ministry was refreshed by the Spirit's streams in the desert. And we talked about John just being a voice. So the significance of John, and then the need for rest. Verse 13. And when Jesus heard it, he departed thence by ship into a desert place apart. And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. A need for rest. Jesus now understands the emotional strain and the physical tiredness, if you will, of his disciples. And so he takes them and puts them into a boat that they can depart to a desert place to rest for a while. And we know that old adage that says, if you don't come apart, you're going to come apart. Sometimes we just need to get alone. Sometimes we just need to get away from all the pressures and things of that nature. So here are the disciples mourning and wondering how, how in the world this could happen. Where was the kingdom? How long would Christ make them wait? 
John is dead. What's coming next? Jesus knew their hearts and knew that they needed more than they understood. Jesus would teach us that planned recreation is not sinful but needful. Man must replenish and take in if he is to be constantly giving out or else the well runs dry. So these disciples would also learn that planned rest is no time to ignore the needs of other people. <laughs> the ministry of meeting needs with the word of God is a continual process. It doesn't end when we leave the office or turn off our computers. Ministry is a task that should be accomplished by every child of God, regardless of our vocational calling. Listen, we're all called to be ministers for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we have other occupations, perhaps, and things of that nature, but you're, every Christian is still called to be a minister, a laborer for the Lord Jesus Christ. Ministry is a task that should be accomplished for every child. Each Christian has been called to follow in the steps of the Savior. And we read in Matthew 20, verse 28, go over there for just a minute. Matthew 20 and verse 28. See what Jesus testifies about himself. Matthew 20, verse 28. He says, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. So we see that Jesus himself set the example of being ministers for the, for the Lord. So we see the persecution of Herod. The next thing we see is the pressures of ministry. The pressures of ministry. And here we see a very busy schedule. Many of our people understand what it means to be busy. Busy really is a relative word. Depending on the standard of measurement, all of us are busy. When we compare our lives with Jesus, we're not as busy as, as he was. Many times from morning to evening, the Lord would heal the sick of the community he would organize preaching campaigns. He was up early in the morning to pray. The ministry which he occupied definitely required a busy schedule. The Lord Jesus Christ accomplished much in a relatively short period of time, only three and a half years for all he did with a relatively small staff, only 12, and one of them was a devil. But look at all he was able to accomplish. Busy, busy people. Now, I know in the times we're in right now, people's schedules are all changed and, and uh, some people are out of work and not able to be busy like they normally would be. But, uh, but there's a, a, a need to, to stay busy. There's an old adage, the devil finds work for idle hands. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. So we see a busy schedule and then we see the desire of the crowd. The people had heard that Jesus had traveled by ship to a desert place. And so these people began to leave their cities and follow the ship, but they were going around the water instead of uh, following the ship in boats. They wanted to be where Jesus was. And the reason was his reputation had been noised abroad by the common people. And the Bible says they received him gladly. These Common people or townspeople understood that Jesus had the answers 
for their physical ailments. Now, they, they believed that Jesus was able to do miracles, and so they followed him, many of them looking for a miracle. They would soon learn that Jesus could do more than simply heal diseases. There was a great multitude following the Lord into this desert region. Now they couldn't be ignored because they had real needs. While the needs of the disciples were real as well, true ministry involves helping other people. The Holy Spirit will strive to lead us to those who are experiencing a desert experience so that we can uh, refresh them as his, in the Lord's working power. These people desired for the Lord to do a work in their midst. When Jesus saw the multitude, the Bible says, he was moved with compassion. And so he took the remainder of that day to heal the sick. Even though he had gone there to rest, the crowd's there and he will not ignore the needs of the people. And so he's healing the sick. And, and probably none of the crowd really noticed how the time had passed and it would soon be uh, nighttime. They were so taken with watching the master work. And, uh, you know, sometimes, and believe it or not, uh, sometimes in church, we get so involved in the message that's being preached, we don't even realize how much time has passed. By the way, that's a good thing. But uh, I believe that's what happened here. They were so involved in what was going on, seeing Jesus doing miracles for these people, they lost track of time. So we see the desire of the crowd. They want to see more miracles. And then we see the attitude of the disciples, verse 15. And when it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, this is a desert place and the time is now past. Send the multitude away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals." The crowd may not have noticed the time of day, but the disciples sure did. Their idea of ministry included two negative con concepts here. <laughs> Watch. The crowd loses track of time, but apparently the disciples didn't. And these two negative concepts that we see here are number one, clock watching, and number two, selfish desires. Their idea of taking care of these people now was to send them away. They had in their hearts and their minds the idea they had ministered to their needs long enough. They had entertained uh, enough children while parents were being healed. They had done crowd control long enough. When were their needs to be met? We've been here all day. Don't you remember, Lord? We came here to rest. Instead, we worked all day long. Emotionally, physically, these disciples are spent. They had buried the body of John. They were experiencing grief and sorrow. The crowd did not necessarily know that John had been beheaded. They had been following the Lord all day. The drain of meeting needs of others all day had taken a toll. Physically, the disciples are tired. And so they say to Jesus, just send the people away and it will all be better. Jesus had a different attitude towards the crowd. The Bible says he had been moved with compassion toward them. He knew they were hungry. And he had no intention of sending them away. His idea was we're just going to feed them right here. And of course the disciples object and they say, but Lord, Lord, 
All we have is a little boy's lunch of five loaves and two fishes. Lord, what are we going to do? How are we going to feed all these people here, as you said? Ministry is never accomplished on a nine-to-five time schedule. It's never hindered due to lack of resources. We serve a God who's able to supply every need, every needed resource. In the next few moments, these disciples would learn some valuable lessons about ministry. As the sun set over this desert place, streams were about to be released. Streams in the desert. Consider Paul's uh, admonition to Archippus. Take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord that thou fulfill it. And then consider this, his condom or commendation it was of Stephanus and that they have addicted themselves to ministry of the saints. These disciples need to learn some lessons. Number one, they need to learn that ministry doesn't stop when the sun goes down. Number two, they need to learn a little goes a long way when it's sanctified to the master's use. And number three, they learn the needs of others must come first. The fourth thing they learned is when the Lord meets the needs of his people, he uses people to be a part of the solution. These are very wonderful lessons that we, we learn today as well. The hurts of people are not bound by our time schedules. We cannot schedule the trials of others. Little is much when God is in it. We need to learn that God is the God of provision, Jehovah Jireh. Before he uses our little, we have to surrender our little to him for his use. Listen, God don't force us to serve him. But he says if we'll surrender ourselves to him, he will use us. Someone has used the acronym J-O-Y, Jesus, others, and you. And that's really what we need to practice in our lives. Jesus is first, others come second, yourself comes last. That's the thrust of ministry. Listen, there will always be problems as long as there are people. But it's a joy to be used in the solution. When you find people, you find problems. Mark it down and just expect it. And then notice this, the provision of the Savior. We see a blessed supply. So the disciples already offered their excuses on why it could not be done in a desert. Lord, we can't do this. There will always be those who tell us it cannot be done, but we need to do it anyway. Faith moves out on a definite promise and command from God. Once again, where God guides, God provides. Faith is a substance, and faith is the evidence of things not seen, Hebrews 11.1. If he's directing, the needs are going to be met. Now, we don't know everything that went on in the hearts of the disciples this day. We do know they were hurting inside. We do know they wanted the day to end and the people to go home. We do know that Andrew, one of John the Baptist's original followers, decided to be involved in ministry that day. While a great friend had died, Andrew decided to mingle with the crowd and get to know the people. He was the one who knew about the little boy. He was the one who brought the little boy and his lunch to Jesus. 
Well, he had no idea to what extent Jesus was going to use that lunch. He knew Jesus would do something. While the Savior provided, a little boy and a disciple named Andrew received a special reward, knowing they had been a part of the solution. Now think about this. Think about that day, and now Andrew finds a lad, and he takes the lad to Jesus, and now Jesus uses that to do a great and mighty work. I can't help but wonder how Andrew felt. I can't help but wonder how, how he was thinking, boy, I'm so glad I found that lad. I'm so glad I took him to Jesus. And now because of that, Jesus has been able to use that. And uh, listen, friend, we need to have that kind of attitude with Andrew. That we're willing to go the extra mile and do whatever needs to be done and uh, trust God for the results that he will bless. And he says he will. So we see a blessed supply. Here's something to look at. Everything's done decently and in good order. In verses 16 through 21, it tells us how Jesus is going to feed these people. We serve a God who not only created everything in order, but he also works in order. In fact, this is how he commands that worship should be conducted. Go Hold your place there. Go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Here's, here's a precept, if you will. Here's a, a principle. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. If you're familiar with it, that's the chapter on tongues. But in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 40, it says this. Let all things be done decently and in order. God is not the author of confusion, but he's the author of things being done decently and in good order. We're going to see that here as Jesus feeds this multitude. We serve a God who not only created everything in order, by the way, as you look at his creation, you find order everywhere. He has, he has set everything as it's supposed to be in order, but he also works in order. And that's how he's commanded worship to be carried out. First, he commands the men to be seated in an orderly fashion. And they were divided into groups of 50 so that the disciples could more easily serve the people. Each disciple would have his own basket to distribute the food to the men. Now, imagine in your mind, you're out in the wilderness You've got 5,000 men plus women and children, so we're probably talking maybe 20,000, 30,000 people. And now Jesus tells you to organize them. You're to organize them into small groups of 50 so you can distribute the food in an organized ma manner. And so imagine when Jesus uh, gives them these baskets of food to, to carry to the people and uh, just think about the kids and how wide-eyed they are at what's going on. Just think about the people as they see people uh, getting food out of that basket, and the basket never, never without food. Hmm. And then the food is blessed and broken. In verses 19 and 20. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass and took the five loaves and the two fishes. And looking up to heaven, he blessed and brake and gave the loaves to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude. 
And they did all eat and were filled, and they took up of the fragments that remained 12 baskets full. So before the food is ever distributed, it was blessed. If Jesus would ask the Father, Father to bless his food, surely we ought to be willing to do the same with our meals. I'll say a little more about that in the morning service. But we need to remember as we partake of our food where it comes from. Then the food was broken. And there are only two instances in the Bible where these two words are used in tandem. The blessing and the breaking. That's the feeding of the 5,000 and at the Lord's Supper table. Luke or Matthew chapter 26. The principles here are that God wants us to both live a life worth blessing and to be willing to be broken before we're used to do something great for God. You know, through the Bible, we find uh, God uses broken things. I think about Gideon and his army. Remember, they had the pitchers and the torches, and the torches were inside the pitchers, and they had to break the pitchers in order for the light to come forth. And then I think about that woman who had an alabaster box of ointment, and she broke the box, meaning she surrendered it all. She held back nothing. Listen, God's looking for some broken things. These disciples, as they see what's going on, uh, listen, they're just people, and I'm sure they're, they're flabbergasted. They're in awe. Peter, didn't we only have five loaves and two fishes? Where is all this coming from? Well, the master's creating it all. The people in the front of the line must have wondered what was happening. They were eyewitnesses to a miracle, but were not fully grasping what was happening. The little boy must have been wide-eyed and thinking about all he was going to tell his mom when he got home. I'm sure he was. The disciples are seeing the joy of ministry take place. They're being used to meet the needs of others, and that's the joy of ministry. When the Lord uses you to meet the needs of other people. They were witnessing the miraculous supply from the, from the Savior. And notice some things about this miracle, how it took place. Number one, there was a group of disciples who followed the Savior despite a heavy heart. Listen, John the Baptist had been killed, and, and uh, I'm sure that threw them in, in, into, into sorrow. But even so, they were still faithful to follow the Lord. A disciple left his comfort zone to mingle among the strangers and find a crowd or a child who would share his lunch with Jesus. Think about Andrew and the fact that he took it upon himself to be in fellowship and not just to sit in the corner and mourn. And then this child had to be willing to give up what he had. You know, listen, that's not a natural response of people to give up what they have. But this child was willing to do that. And then the disciples had to put forth the energy to distribute now, remember, we said it wasn't just 5,000. It was 5,000 plus women and children. And so we're looking at feeding 20 to 30,000 people. And uh, you work in the food industry. You know about that. But it was no problem for the Lord. And uh, he had it all organized and had it all set. And um, listen, we need to, the disciples had to put forth energy. And it teaches us a principle there. And that's this. 
God's work is accomplished with human hands. You know, we're, we're privileged. We're privileged in the fact that God will allow us to partner with him and be a part of what he's trying to do. These disciples were privileged to be able to take that and give it to all the people. And, and understand this, you know, don't downplay the, the idea that Jesus had the disciples distribute the bread and the fish. You know, if he wanted to, he could have had angels from heaven come down and distribute the bread and the fish. He had that authority and that power. He could have had it rain bread and fish down on the people if he wanted to do it that way. There are many other ways he could have had this bread and fish distributed, but he chose to use human agency. And I say that and emphasize that because it's the same today. He chose to use human agency. We need to be willing participants. We need to give ourselves to, to him to be used. Are we willing to put forth the effort in distributing what God has blessed, and that's the gospel message, to meet the needs of the multitude? And then notice this. It's finally over. Context is the friend of Bible students. We see the day coming to an end. We see a peaceful picture. Jesus now puts his disciples on the ship so that they can go and, uh, and rest through the night. And I'm sure they were looking forward to that moment when this would all be done and we can get some rest. As he puts them on the ship, the Bible tells us that he remains behind. He sends the multitudes back to their houses. He goes into a mountain to pray through the night. It reminds us if Christ, God incarnate, was a man of prayer, shouldn't we understand our need to spend time in prayer with our Heavenly Father? So now the disciples are in the ship. They're in perfect obedience to where Christ has sent them. They're tired, but I'm sure they're still kind of basking in the excitement of the miracle they had just seen. And they, there's still 12 baskets of leftovers from the five loaves and two fishes. Might be some of them are already gone below to go to sleep. We don't, we don't really know what their state of mind was. But we know that it wasn't long till that ship was hitting, hit with a, a, a very, very bad storm. And that narrative, as we read about it, tells of Jesus now. He comes walking on the water. He comes between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., the fourth watch of the night. Well, where's Jesus been all that time till the fourth watch? He's been praying. He stayed behind to pray. And of course, if we looked at that instance, and we're not going to today, but this is where Peter stepped out of the boat. This is where Peter got the opportunity to walk on water. It had been a long, trying day. It began with news that John the Baptist had been beheaded. They had come apart to get a rest, and the crowd followed them, and now they had labored in the desert sun all day to the needs of the crowd. But they had learned that ministry continues and that God is not limited by human resources. 
They had seen the miracle and they had actively involved personally in distributing that food. They were tired. They were weary. Their hearts were heavy. They're ready for their day to end. But here's something we need to never forget. The enemy never takes a holiday. Hmm. Now this event is a separate lesson in itself. It at least shows us contextually a day in the life of the disciple. The ministry never ended. The needs never stopped. Every man in that boat, except for one, would die a premature death for the gospel's sake. They would all die as martyrs. John the Baptist, we don't know, died, but we know he, he suffered uh, torture and martyrdom. Every man in that boat, save one, would die a premature death. They were placing their hands on the gospel plow, and thank God they weren't looking back. Each lesson these men learned from the master increased their burden to blaze a trail for the gospel of Christ. Here's a question for us today. What do you need God to provide for you? Sometimes we think our needs are too great. Sometimes we, we're looking at the eyes of flesh and the eyes of man's ability and we say, it's not possible, but listen, with God, all things are possible. Can God provide a table in the wilderness? Yes, he can. If God can meet our eternal needs, can he not also meet our temporary needs, temporal needs? I'm always amazed, and I think about this. When we come to Christ, we trust him with our eternal destiny. We come to him believing and trusting that when we close our eyes in death, we're going to go to heaven. Now, we don't have any proof of that. We believe it by faith. He doesn't take us to heaven temporarily and say, this is where you're coming and, and uh, this is how it's going to be and all. And all and, uh, no, he, we have to accept it by faith, and we do. So we accept by faith our eternal destiny. Sure, I'm saved that I'm going to heaven when I die. But then so often we fail to trust him for our daily lives. We have needs. We have problems. We have trials. We have tribulations. We need to trust him for everything. What is the need you're facing today? God can. God can meet that need if it's his will. If we can trust him for eternity... Can't we trust him for today? Psalm 23 and verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Is that your testimony? <laughs> Here's some, some admonitions from the Bible. The second Samuel 22 and verse 3. The God of my rock, in him will I trust. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my high tower and my refuge, my Savior. Thou savest me from violence, 2 Samuel 22, 3. Isaiah 26 and verse 4. 
Trust thee in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Go over there to Isaiah for a minute, 26. Isaiah 26. I want to look at the verses 3 and 4. Isaiah 26. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. And so those two verses are, are to be taken together and thank God for them. Listen, friend, several things we can glean from this. We can glean that Jesus is greater than any problem we can ever face, that he can handle every need we'll ever have. We glean from this that God wants to use human instrumentality. He wants to use us. He's chosen us. He's, he's blessed us with the opportunity to be used of him. Let me ask you, are you being used of him? Have you presented yourself to him and allowed yourself to be all that he wants you to be and do all that he wants you to do? Are you his spokesman, his spokesperson? In other words, are you willing to tell others about him? You know, the way God's ordained that people are going to get saved is that somebody takes them the gospel message. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Have you been busy about taking the gospel message to lost people. I know we're in a difficult time right now that, you know, we're not having communication. We're not having fellowship. We're not having uh, uh, being in the presence of other people. But it's not always going to be like this. And even in these times, we can still hand out a gospel tract. We can still do what we can do to try to reach people for Christ. And we need to do that. Instruments in his hands. Think about this. Those disciples got on that ship that night. And while they didn't create the bread and they didn't create the fish, just think about how, how wonderful they felt knowing uh, the great thing that they were able to be a part of. Man, we just saw 20,000 people get fed and we had a part in it. We got to serve the food. And it was great going from person to person and, and, and helping these people and, and uh it was just a wonderful thing to go back to the master and get some more. Listen, the work of God can be exciting if you let it be. It's all up to you. Father, we thank you once again for streams in the desert. Thank you for this account of how Jesus fed all these people. And thank you that he chose to use human agency. He chose to use the little that the lad had to do much. And we know that little is much when God is in it. And Lord, we, we don't have a whole lot to offer, but whatever we have, we want to offer to you. Take our little and use it to accomplish much for you. Not for our praise, not for our glory. The disciples didn't get praise. The disciples didn't get glory. Jesus did. And that's where the praise and glory belong. Might we be ministers and workers for you in your harvest field till you take us home.
I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us.